Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Everywhere he goes, he, uh, he just brings um, such a great kindness. He's such a great dad. You just watch him with his kids. He's uh, the director of our school. He hears from God so well. You just, it's so cool. He brings it to our staff meetings and said, God's doing this today. And you're just like, you watch him just uh, affect, our, affect the room, just hearing from God and following through with it. So y'all, uh, you're in for a treat. Give it up for Blake Healy. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Man. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Gotta learn how to deal with all that video announcement fame now. It's just, <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> People asking you questions about what time things are, it's crazy. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> watching that was like the worst kind of torture in the entire world. Like, <laughs> It's like, oh God, I didn't know my voice was that deep and like baritone and I'm like, oh, I did this and do that. And so if you ever want to just suffer very, very harshly, that's one way I recommend doing it. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I'm, I'm really excited about the message I'm going to talk about tonight. I, um, I've, it's been one that's been on my heart for a while and you know, when I, when I was learning how to preach, the very first preaching class I ever went to, the guy, the guy who was teaching it, he, um, he said, there's basically two kinds of, of preaching and teaching that you'll see on, on a Sunday morning. And he said, I'll, I separate into two categories of teaching, which is, you know, more in, in the sense of like, I'm going to take this, you know, section of scripture, and we're going to walk through it and kind of break it down or I'm going to go after this one central idea and kind of focus on that, unpack that, unwind that a whole bunch. And then the other side, the other version, so, you know, that one's mainly focused on educating, explaining, going through details, which is, which is awesome. And then he said there's the other side, which is the, the preaching side. And he said that is more like I'm going, to, I'm going to snap off a piece of my life, my experience, something I've... I see in the Lord or a revelation. I'm mainly going to be focusing on that, you know. I'm, I'm uh, rather than trying to teach you about a particular thing. I'm going to try to snap off an experience I'm having and give it to you. So, with that preamble, I'm, I'm going for the second side of things today. And so, this this is something that I I'm going to go through some scriptures with it. But it's something more less than kind of trying to capture this um, cognitively. What I'd like for you guys to try to do is step into this experience a little bit. Does that sound good? Cool. I'm glad we are agreed on this. <laughs> All right. So I think, I think the best place to start is um, one of the most uh, clear experiences I had with this topic. And so this, this has happened several times through my life, but this one was the most succinct and it affected my life the most. So at the age of 17, I was a jaded minister. <laughs> I, uh, my, my parents had been in ministry pretty much my whole life. Um, my dad was in Bible college when I was a little kid, and uh, we were missionaries when I was five years old. We moved to Russia and lived there for several years, and when we got back, we were always actively involved in church, and my parents were on staff, and so I was always a, a missionary kid and a pastor's kid, and I loved it. I loved being a missionary kid. My parents were really good about just bringing us to everything, involving us in everything, 
And it was, it was so much fun. Like we, we would pray for people. We would help baptize people. We would, we would be actively involved in them. And even as I became a teenager, I was always actively involved in our youth group, actively involved in the prophetic. And it was, it was awesome. But as I started getting to my later teenage years, I started noticing some things. I noticed these patterns that really started to bother me. I would notice these people would come in with different, different woundings, different challenges, different, different quirks, and they would just kind of go on these little cycles and not go anywhere. You know, they would get a little bit better for a week and then, you know, back to the same. And then a little bit better for two weeks and then back to the same. Big things, small things, it was all different things, but the process was just the same over and over and over. And as I grew older and a little bit more astute, I, I started realizing that, oh, the leaders of this church have these little cycles that they're going in again and again and again and again. And I just started having this feeling of like, ah, what's, what's the point of all this? You know, it just keeps going in circles. And so after a while, our church started getting connected with this small church in Northern California called Bethel. And um, in this teeny tiny town called Redding, which I, the only thing I knew about Redding at that point was that's where you got gas on your way to Oregon. Because <laughs> it's, it's actually still a little bit weird to me now. Like Redding is this amazing Christian place because it was the gas station <laughs> when, when I was younger. And cows. I, th I think they had cows, too. Um, and so we started connect, connecting with, uh, you know, Bill Johnson came down, Chris Allison came down, and eventually they started doing this ministry trip uh, for the School of Ministry every year to uh, Tijuana. And I live in Southern California, you know, not too far above where Tijuana is, and so they would stop at our church on the way down, sleep over there, and then head to Tijuana the next day, to be there for a little over a week, and then they would come back up and have a night of like sharing all the testimonies of all the cool stuff that had happened while they were there. And so every time they'd come and they'd have these amazing stories of people being healed, of people being raised from the dead, of all these miracles and things like that. And you know, that was cool, that was awesome, that was exciting. But then year after year, as I saw more of these students come through, like, ah, these guys have the same kind of cycles, the same kind of things going on that I see in the people all around here. So I just had this feeling towards the ministry of like, man, is this really doing anything? You know? Tracking with me? Okay, cool. Getting a lot of silence, so just making sure you're still alive out there. Thank you. I will. <laughs> um, so... When the Holy Spirit came to me and said, hey, I want you to go, to go to that school, I was very much ready to say, no, I don't think I will. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> and he said, you should go to that school. And I said, nah, it's just the same as anywhere. Like, you know, I would be doing the same thing there as I am here, and it would be the same whatever, you know, what's, what's the point? And he said, you should go to that school. And I said, nah. He said, you should go to that school. I said, no, thank you. That's okay. He said, you should go to that school. I said, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> and this went back and forth for three months, him telling me, you should go to this school. You should go to this school. You should go to this school. And no, no, no. I got very good at saying no. There's not that many ways to do it, but I just kept it up. And eventually, after three months of him telling me to go to this school, I finally won the argument which is a little bit foreboding when you win an argument against the Holy Spirit. Um, 
And <laughs> so I, he, and he just stopped asking me. The school year started. A bunch of my friends who were in, who I grew up in youth group with, who I'd known for years, they went up about, I think, 10 or 11 of them, give or take. And I didn't. I thought, well, good. I showed him. <laughs> and I want to, I want to pause at this point and hold the ending for, for later because I want to use that point right there to illustrate something. Because, you know, I, I remember too, my friends would call me and they would tell me about all the different stuff that was happening. They'd tell me about these miracles they were experiencing. They'd tell me about all this, you know, cool stuff. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't want to go to that school. <laughs> And I, you know, I felt so justified in my, in my decision. So flash back, and I'll tell you what happened with that later. But I, my subject that I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about why the plan that you have for your life is totally wrong. <laughs> Sound good? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> so here's why. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the twist ending for immediately so that you guys cannot throw anything heavy at me. But I want you to turn here because this is one of those scriptures you can kind of blaze past a whole bunch. Gen Genesis, uh, Genesis 3. It's one of those scriptures that we're so familiar with that you just kind of don't even like read it. It just kind of, you know, just goes through your mind. Genesis 3 God creating the earth, God creating man, the naming the animals, creating Eve, all this awesome stuff. Get to Genesis chapter 3, and we get to the fall of man. The fall of man. I want to read this first little section here, because I think there's such a, there's such a profound understanding that's so obvious that it's easy, it's easy to miss. I want to point out the first lie, and in my opinion, the one of the best lies that the enemy has thrown at humanity since chapter 3. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Really? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from all the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now this, this is a very crafty lie because it is not on the front of the lie. It's on the back end of it. It's on the implication that it has. And this implication has been at the core of so many problems. This lie, you know, you will not surely die. God doesn't want you to have it because he doesn't want you to see the world the way that he does. This guy who said he is goodness itself is holding back this one little good thing from you. Behind, even though he gave you all this freedom, this one stipulation he put on your freedom is holding back this really good thing from you. 
the implication was that God does not want the absolute best, most fun, most incredible thing for you at all times. And believing that lie suddenly made that thing plausible. You know what I'm saying? And it's easy to see how this lie starts out, but as it unfolds, it becomes, it, it, it seeps in into more spots where, like before we were saved, it's easy to kind of look at that and be like, you know, oh, and, and even when I've you know, talked with some of my unsaved family or, or other folks, this is one of the problems they have is like, ah, oh, there's just so many rules. You know, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do anything fun. Which is interesting because, you know, um, sin issues and things like that, you know, a lot of us have the perspective that those things may be fun in the short term, but not so fun in the long term. And some of us have experiences to back that up. But I want to kind of just dig a little bit deeper into some of how of especially our Western mindset developed around this subject, because it is kind of interesting. So. Western civilization, as we know it, was basically birthed, and I'm just a vast oversimplification, so if you're a history major, you can come and just beat me up in the corner later. But Western civilization was basically born on a bunch of porches in the middle of Greece, where all of these dudes would get together and talk about stuff. It was the birth of philosophy, or you know, the great uh, lift of philosophy, of Greek philosophy, where these guys would all get together and just talk about all these philosophies all the time, all day long. It was either really awesome or really boring, depending on your personality type. <laughs> if it was boring, you moved over to Sparta just to fight dudes all the time. <laughs> um, and the goal of these guys, the central goal that they had was let us discuss and discover the best life. What is the most fulfilling, the most happy, the most joyful life that a human being can experience. And so they came up with all of these ideas and just about every single kind of Western culture that you can think of was derived in some way from those conversations that had capitalism, communism, hedonism, ism-ism, all the isms basically started on those porches in different, some form or another. And they, so they had all these different ideas. Some people, you know, like the the hedonist people were like, ah, just do all, eat, drink, and be merry, do all the fun stuff, do whatever feels good all the time, and that is the way to live a most fulfilled, most happy life. And then some people on the other end of the spectrum of, no, you must abstain from all things. If it feels good, then it's probably bad, so don't do it. And, you know, just the, the more you abstain from external pleasures, the more you can discover the joy that's within. And there was all different kinds of combinations of this. So there were some people who said, oh, you know, every time a sad thing happens, you really need to dwell on it, experience that sorrow, and, and you know, feel that so you can experience the joy that's within, you know, that coming out of that sorrow. But then the Stoics were like, nah, you shouldn't be feeling that. You should just expect life is just going to be bad sometimes, and you should just be, whatever, that's bad. Things are bad all the time. Sometimes they're good, Whatever. And then, but then if you get too excited about something, like don't get too excited because then you're just going to be disappointed later, so don't do that. <laughs> and so it's all these guys just trying to figure out what does the best life look like? What does the most fulfilling life look like? Which I think was a bit of a waste of time because I believe that God gave us the model for the most fulfilled, the most joy-filled, the most rewarding life that possibly exists. And I do believe he did that with the Bible. Now, here's the interesting thing, is there's parts of that 
outline, part of that description that feels very specific, very clear. And it usually is a bunch of those don'ts, like, hey, don't do this, don't do that, you know, don't do that. But then other stuff, it's so much more obscure and not as clear, not as specific, not as measurable. And how do you, how do, you do that? Now, most of us in here would agree that, that the reason for that is that God doesn't want to just give you an instruction manual. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to, you know, build a connection with you so that, you know, you walk through this process of, you know, um, okay, Lord, what should I do? You know, have him lead you, but also him empowering you to make choices and, you know, go in different directions. And we can kind of get back and forth on all this. I know that some people lean really far on the idea of like, okay, every morning I'm going to wake up and Lord Jesus, what should I have for breakfast on this fine Sunday morning? Okay, eggs. I feel like you're saying eggs. And then you get halfway through the eggs and it's like, ah, it was wrong. Oh, it's just Cheerios <laughs> were the right thing. Um, if that's you, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just enjoying you. Um, <laughs> and, you know, what brand of toothpaste should I wear? What brand of shoes should I wear? What color socks should I wear? How long should they be? All of that stuff, every single step of the way. And there's some people who go really far on the other side who say, like, hey, you know, the whole temple, that wasn't really God's idea. David went to God and said, I want to build a place to worship you, and I want it to be awesome. And God said, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And so it's like, okay, well, I'll just come up with my ideas and come up with using the gifts and the wisdom that God gave me. I'll come up with this idea and do this amazing thing, and it'll be awesome. And I, I can agree and see both sides of that thing. But what I want to talk about today is how I feel you get into that, that healthy middle ground where it truly is a relationship. You don't just always do this or always do that, but you learn when it is time to stop and be guided step by step by the Holy Spirit. And when it's time that it's a big open field and you can do whatever you want in this field and just start building any idea that it's a green light until you get a red light. You know what I mean? Now, I believe that the way to get into that spot is to first give up on absolutely everything you think, believe, or hope for. <laughs> you sound thrilled. <laughs> But hear me out. That sounds terrifying, especially if you believe that original lie. If you believe that God behind his plan is holding back something that would be good for you, something that would be fun, something that would be enjoyable, something that would be enlightening. If you believe the lie that God is holding anything good back from you, then you feel the need to hold on to your plan right? Because otherwise, if we do believe that God is perfectly good and has my absolute best in mind, then whatever he has is either that plan or something way better. But we don't really always believe that because we're scared that that lie is true, that there's something that he's holding back from us, that there's something that he wouldn't give us, that there's something that he doesn't approve of that would be good. You know what I mean? Sometimes this lie hangs so far in the background that we don't even think about it. We don't even hear it. We don't even, you know, bring it into, into, the, into our conscious thought because it, try, it needs to be sneaky. It needs to be in the background. And so I believe by engaging in this process of completely dropping everything 
and following Jesus, we equip ourselves to truly see where he's leading us and when we're totally free to do whatever because we've established by action trust in his goodness. Does that make sense? Okay. I think this is beautifully illustrated in Jesus' relationship with the disciples, both the benefits and the process. I mean, we, you know, we know the story how Jesus was you know, walking through choosing his disciples, and he walked by these two, two brothers that were in a fishing boat, and he said, hey, follow me. And they dropped their nets. It was Peter and his brother. They dropped their nets, and they followed him. And I always wonder when I read that section, were those the per- first people that he went to? Were the first disciples mentioned, but were they the first he went to, or were they just the first that said yes? interesting. <laughs> Even, you know, the Bible it doesn't clarify on that point, but you can still see the effects of this process as Jesus' ministry went on. You know, he didn't just have the 12 disciples. There were numerous disciples that were following him around, lots and lots of them. And these guys, you know, you read Jesus commissioned them to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, heal, heal, uh, do miracles. And they went out and did it, and they saw these miracles happen. And so they, they, revival was happening for all intents and purposes. But, were, but had they given everything? There's this great section of scripture. I think this is a good one to turn to as well. Um, John 6. John 6. This is one of those nice, nice, tough parts of scripture. John 6. I'm going to start at verse 60, but I'm going to give you a little bit of the background there. So Jesus is, is speaking to these people. He's letting them, he's, you know, just declaring who he is, saying, hey, I'm the son of God. I'm here to save the world. Believe in me and you shall come to the Father. No one can come to the Father except through me. And... He gets to this part that trips everyone up. He's got all of his disciples there, a bunch of them. And gets to a spot that trips them up where he says, now to, to be one of my disciples, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Goo. Now, from our perspective, it almost seems a little bit silly, the reaction, because it's a very strong reaction that I'll read in just a moment. But... They, they like freak out at this. And of course, now we have a little more context. Obviously, he was speaking in a metaphor. He was talking about, you know, what he was going to do on the cross. He was talking about, you know, the, the remembrance of communion and things like that. It's kind of easy for us to see, but it's, it's especially studying a little bit of the history there. Like culturally, that was a harsh thing to be laying down. Because especially when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and wander, running into these different peoples and these different cultures who served other gods in this season, where they were like one of many tribes going around, one of the main distinctions between the Israelites and the religious practices of other folks was a, lot, a good number of them involved human sacrifice and also the eating of flesh and the drinking of blood. And that was a, one of the main distinctions culturally between who they believed to be the one God and these other false gods. And it was actually one of the main sticking points when the, the kings of Israel would uh, start inviting idols into the temple and things, and things like that, you know, is that they would take part in some of these practices. And that was like this really bad looked upon thing. And so Jesus is saying that is very specifically culturally and historically offensive to them. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I love, I love the way that the NIV puts it. Um, John 6, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. <laughs> Who can accept it? <laughs> aware, of his, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? <laughs> with, with swagger is in the parentheses, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so, like, this, this was, like, scary. This was like, oh, man, we're in a cult. Let's get out of here. <laughs> that's, that's what that was. That's, like, totally, totally exactly what that experience was. It's like, oh, no, Jesus seemed cool, and then, then the flesh and the blood. <laughs> and everyone left except the 12. <laughs> you do not want to leave too, do you? Asked Jesus to the 12. And Simon, Simon Peter answered him, and this to me is the moment that defines the difference between the multitudes that followed Jesus, that saw miracles, that saw revival happen, and the 12 who stuck with him the whole time. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. They didn't have a plan B. The 12 disciples had bet everything on Jesus. They didn't have a plan B. They didn't have anywhere else to go. They had broken ties, broken bonds, invested everything in Jesus. And, you know, just as a, a thought exercise, I, I very clearly don't, I don't want this to be condemning or to be uh, negative in that way, but it's, it's a good thought ex exercise, and I, I do it myself sometimes. How, if you looked at your life and deleted everything that you consider to be, having, to be having to do with God and your relationship with God, how negatively would your life be affected? And if the answer isn't all the way, then why? And again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about how much you go to church or something like that. It's, it's not about that. It's a way of looking at the question of how much have I bet on God? How much have I, how much have I completely laid my dependence upon him? And I, that, that's going to look different for every single person. Just because you have a good job doesn't mean, you know, that, that you're less Christian than this person or that person. That's, that's not the point. The point is how much of your heart, how much of your life, how much of your thought process is dependent upon him. You see, there, there were different kinds of disciples with different relationships to Jesus. There were the multitudes who did miracles, listened to his teachings, you know, loved him. And even though this thing happened, a lot of them came back later, <laughs> you know. Amazing things. But then there were the 12 who stuck with him no matter what was going on, who kept following him, who were in his, his, his intimate circle and went through so much with him. 
And then there were the three who he was closest to, who, who can, he, whom he confided into, who were there when he needed prayer, when he needed help in the garden, when, 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 he, was, when he was feeling down. These are the people he called on. And then there was one, John, who said, I am going to be as close as humanly possible for as long as I possibly can to the point that at dinner, I'm going to lay down on your chest. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little weird and awkward, but this is Jesus. (laughs) And the thing I want to share with you guys tonight is not to make you guilty for being one or the other. (laughs) That's not the point. The point is that Jesus died so that we were invited all the way in if we want to. All the way in if we want to. And I don't want the reason that we don't come all the way in to be because we think that we're giving up something worth trading for that relationship. Because we're not. We're not. I mean, Jesus said, unless you hate your mother, you hate your father, and you hate your children, you cannot be my disciple. Wow, that's harsh, Jesus. (laughs) It's harsh if you believe the first lie. (laughs) If you believe that him putting, making himself the most important thing means that he would hold something good back from you. That giving those relationships to him wouldn't mean that he would take care of them, whatever that looks like. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to see how that perspective shifts of God's asking me to do this thing. Then you don't know who God is if he's asking you to abandon your family. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we're, we're invited all the way in, and I don't want anything to get in the way of that. You know, I, so I didn't go to school of ministry that whole year, and totally, totally skipped it, and my friends called me all the time, tell me all the cool things that were happening, all the awesome stuff that was going on, and it didn't even affect me at all, it didn't make me feel guilty or anything, <laughs> which is terrible probably, but <laughs> no, zero conviction, I'm like, yep, sounds great, fine, whatever, no, glad I didn't go, no. And they go, they go, they go. And the Holy Spirit did not ask me to go again. Got to be about two-thirds of the way through the school year. And out of nowhere, I'm just hanging out. The Holy Spirit comes and says, I want you to go to that school. And every wall, a rampart, machine gun nest that I had built against that idea, my beautiful defenses against this idea, just liquefied, just completely melted and it pierced my heart. I'm like, I'm supposed to go to this school. <laughs> Five seconds after that feeling hits, my friend calls. First words out of her mouth, you need to go to this school. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you tell me about it? And so I, I went that following year. And it was an amazing, awesome, powerful experience, transformative uh, But it was interesting because I remember partway through the year, I had this little freak out moment of, oh man, I messed up God's plan. I was dragging my feet hard (laughs) getting here and I'm I'm a year late. And like I said, like 10 to 12 of my friends had gone through school and were in second year at that point. 
uh, like one or two people that were friends of mine went the same year that I went. And I'm like, oh man, I'm not with all my friends, all these people that I grew up with. And, you know, did I, did I miss it? Did I miss the time? And, it being, and because I had friends in second year, I met a lot of other second year people that I connected really well with right away. And so I'm like, oh, man, this was supposed to be my friend group. This was supposed to be the people I was hanging out with. Ah, what have I done? And then I met my lovely wife, who was in the same year as me. I, yeah. <laughs> I met this interesting couple called Steve and Lindy Hale, who were in that same year as me. <laughs> <laughs> the senior leaders of this church, in case you're new. <laughs> um, and I watched bit by bit, moment by moment, as God showed me that, of course, he had laid out the perfect plan of to get me everything that I had hoped for and everything that I had dreamed. I didn't want to go to school. I had a better plan. I said, I like writing. I like, I like, I like expressing revelation through writing, both through nonfiction and also through fiction. Because I can feel like I can explain some good revelation to people through nonfiction, and I can explain even deeper revelation through a story. I'm going to become an English teacher and do that. I was going to college to do that. That was my awesome plan. I still think it's kind of awesome. But, but I have watched year after year how off of one choice of giving up my good plan has made room for his great one. And I'm watching how I'm growing into the person that I hoped I would be <laughs> instead of trying to figure out how to become that person. You know what I mean? And that's not awesome me because I was trying to do the opposite. <laughs> that's awesome God because I finally listened. And I, so I just want to end with this. I, for those of you who have been here a while, you, you, you know about this, but this might be, might be new for some of you. But I've, for as long as I can remember, I've, I've always uh, seen the spirit, and so I see angels and demons and things like that all the time. Surprise. Um, or not surprise for most of you. But do you, do you want to know the hardest thing for me to see? The thing that hurts me the most? <laughs> you're all like, <laughs> thank you. Because <laughs> most of you are like, no, please don't at all. <laughs> You've hurt me enough already today, Blake. <laughs> it's not seeing demonic stuff or seeing areas where the enemy has a lot of influence. It's not seeing the wounds that people have from each other or cause to each other. It's not that stuff. The most painful thing for me to see is when the goodness of God is poured out on his people, but it stays on the table because we don't pick it up. And it happens a lot. <laughs> because we're holding on to something else <laughs> that we think is better. <laughs> and it just isn't. <laughs> it just isn't. You know, the, the gospel is full of, you know, scriptures about, you know, Oh, this person couldn't follow Jesus because of this. So I need to go bury my father. Oh, I have all this money. What am I going to do with that? You know, this, this, all this stuff. And I, no matter what it takes, no matter what it looks like, you need to drop what you're doing and follow Jesus. And I know what you're thinking, some of you, of like, well, I got this and I got that and I have this thing. And I'm not going to call them excuses because they're not excuses. They're like genuine, real, actual reasons that you can't do this, that, or the other thing. I'm just telling you that those are not as important, <laughs> no matter what they are. <laughs> 
Does that, well, I have this responsibility, I have that responsibility. Do you not trust that God knows that responsibility and cares about it even more than you? He will show, if he's telling you to do something, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. And you can take baby steps to be like, okay, is this actually you? And if it's not, he will redirect you or he will send someone to redirect you and get you on the track. And he'll turn that little redirect into a stepping stone that will launch you even deeper into where he's taking you. I guarantee it. I've seen too many of God's people have good lives when they could have great ones. I see too many people have struggle with jobs, struggle with relationships, struggle with all this stuff simply because they're not where they're designed to be. You're designed to live glory to glory, and any less than that makes you sick. It's not good for you. And so again, I'm not, I'm not saying this to, I, I, and if you're feeling this way, please, please don't hear this. I'm not here to like beat you up for not being Christian enough. That's not the... That's not the point. It's I'm seeing glory being dumped out on the earth. And all we have to do is say yes. And that can, that's going to look different for everyone. For some people, it's for me, it was going to school of ministry. For you, it might be going to our school of ministry starting September 10th. Um, <laughs> for, I'm subtle. Um, but it, it doesn't even need to look like that. It can look like going to a life group. It can look like talking to someone who God's been just like tapping you to talk to that person. It's the little stuff. The little stuff is just as, if not more important than the big, huge, life-changing stuff. It's because that builds this rapport between you and God, this, this, this trust that's built on action again and again and again. And so whatever it is, you know what those things are, those little things that the Holy Spirit's been tapping on you to do, to talk to that person, to, to visit that, to visit this. Whatever it is, please do it. Even if you are wrong and it doesn't, nothing really comes of it, the conversation and the growth and relationship that will come out of that will be so worth it. Don't let, it being, being, don't let being afraid that there's nothing on the other side stop you. And don't let your past disappointments stop you either because those all wrap into that lie again. They wrap into that lie that God does not have something that is the best for you. That if it's different than your plan, then it's definitely better. And not better like broccoli is better than ice cream. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's what we think sometimes. We think like, oh yeah, God has the better life, but it's like the better way in like doing your taxes on time is better, you know? It's that kind of better. You know, it's the like, I'm, I'm 80 years old looking back at my life in a pinstripe suit, you know, being like, yes, yeah, so I lived a very organized and structured life. <laughs> and we, you know, completed many tasks and many things and it's, you know, it looks very good on paper, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a stuffy, boring life. That is not who God is. <laughs> That is not who God is. He made you to want what he has. (laughs) He made you to hunger for what he has. And the reason you're not finding it in this, that, or the other thing, because it's not there. (laughs) It's not there. He has it. And if, and now I'm going to go on a a rant here for a second, but it's the reason the, the church looks boring to some people from the outside is because the church is not doing the things that God's calling them to. I'm not blaming you for that. I'm inviting you. (laughs) 
I'm inviting you because we have to show the world all the good stuff that God can do. Not just in miracles, not just in laying on hands, but in arts, in media, in business. Like in the, the revival, if revival is meant to engulf the entire earth, that means all the stuff in it too. You know what I mean? I want to know what revival looks like on a Saturday morning cartoon show. I want to know what it looks like at a, yeah, someone. I, wa- I want to know what it looks like at a rock concert. I want to know what it looks like in a 200-story in a building full of guys in suits. I want to know what it looks like because it's not going to look the same everywhere. Because I see it waiting. I see it waiting for us to show up. So, whew, okay. Anyway, let's stand up real quick. I, I got to get you guys out of here. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you guys just to start to release these revelations. And, you know, I, I want to make it clear, like, again, like, what God is doing for you is the best. It is the absolute best. And so if, it's, if it causes you to compromise values that he put in you, then that's not the best yet. Like, if you have to, like, ignore your kids or ignore your family or things like that, it's like, he's got a better version. He's got a better version. So for some of you, it's slow down. For some of you, it's let go of those big, awesome, amazing, very good plans that you have and slow down and let him build it right. Let him build it in a way that's going to last forever. For some of you, it's get up and go. For some of you, it's okay to go. He will teach you how to bring your kids with you. He will teach you how to bring your family with you. He'll teach you how to bring financial responsibility with you. He will teach you how I promise because he's not gonna leave that behind. And again, we've been on all sides of this thing where some of you are going, going, going and you're financially struggling, you're relationally struggling. Maybe it is time to slow down and build it different. And that's okay, that is not a waste of time. It is not a waste of time because he builds things right. <laughs> he builds them in a way that they last. He builds them in a way that they last longer than you last. It'll leave a legacy that your children and your grandchildren will get to live off of. Ooh, okay, getting spicy. All right, all right. <laughs> okay, uh, let me have the ministry team come up and line up here. We're gonna do something a little bit different from ministry time. If you are sick in your body in any way or you know, need repair, prayer about anything, please feel free to come up afterwards and get prayer for those things. But what I want is a commitment from you guys today. And this, this is not a choice that you make once. This is a choice that you may f- make five or six times a day. This is the choice to, to drop everything and follow Jesus. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean you don't show up to work tomorrow and say, Blake said I didn't have to. <laughs> it means you make what he is directing you to do first, the first priority the first answer, the first leading thing, and you let go of everything and watch him give it back to you or give you something so much better, so much better. And if you want to commit to that today, if that's something you just want someone to bless you with, to to pray into today, our ministry team here is just to pray for you, to bless you, to to seal it in you. Um, And so if if that is something that's stirring in your heart, again, even if this is the fifth time that you've made this choice and you're like, oh, here we go again, that's that lie again. That's that lie trying to swoop in, saying, oh, you're just going to do this again, huh? <laughs> you have to do this a lot. I, like I said, you will, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but there will be moments where you will diverge off of this, where you'll get focused on this thing or focused on that thing, but that's when God will bring you back around and make so much out of that diversion 
that it adds to your momentum to where he's taking you. Does that make sense? Cool. All right, put your hands out in front of you. I'll pray for you, and then we're, then you'll release you guys. Lord, I thank you so much for these people. Lord, I thank you for the hunger that they're carrying to just release revival in every single sector of this world, Lord. In the, biz, in the business world, in the art world, in the, in the relational world, in, in the small parts of the world and the big parts of the world, in small cultures and subcultures and also entire national cultures. I've just released those ideas, released those inspirations, and I break this lie that has hung over humanity that God's plan would not include our values, would not include a value for our heart, a value for our desires, a value for our internal health. We would just break that lie off in Jesus' name and release the truth that God built you to adore his plan for you, that he built a plan that would make you so thrilled, so excited, so exuberant every single day in every single way. And Lord, I just release the grace to trust because we can't, we can't do it on our own. We can't just trust that you're good. We need your help. And I just break off any past experiences that would say, well, this happened, that happened. I just deny the, <laughs> I deny the application of any false evidence that would show that God is not good. I just break that off in Jesus' name and release the truth that God's goodness is ready to shine in every single area of your life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.